right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, a show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares some of our uh, own winners in pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Duncan Joyce. How's things, Duncan? Lee, I'm really glad to be back. Um, it's nice to hear you again. Um, and it was nice to hear you and Richie being very kind to me the other episode. Oh, we try. <laughs> we, we try not to pick on anyone that's, um, that's going to hear it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've had a big absence from podcasting because I've had to prepare my portfolio pieces for my um, apprenticeship as a software developer, and it was just taking forever, um, even when I like shut things down. But I'm glad to have that over with me, uh, over with for now. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, as I was saying off air, I definitely can't relate, but I've been quite busy myself between football and work. Um, on this side of the, the the world, we're quite lucky that we've not really been locked down too much, so things have been pretty busy over here. So I'm definitely not complaining by any stretch of the imagination. Nice. We've had restrictions have been starting to open up for about uh, two or three weeks now, and um, it, it's nice to be out and the the weather's taking a pretty all right turn so it's been rather pleasant overall yeah i actually i agree with that we were watching um the city versus crystal palace game on tv here last night about or oh, 9 30 p.m our time and we're all rugged up on the couch and my wife turns to me and says how the hell is it sun shining in england and we're here under the covers <laughs> hey man you, you gotta prepare for anything over here <laughs> it could turn in an instant <laughs> yeah you always take a raincoat just in case Yes. But um, we are here actually to discuss some wrestling again, as always. Um, We're looking at some 1999 Smackdown and Thunder. It's been a little while um, since we've been able to get together and do this, so I wasn't sure what to expect, and boy, did we get a mixed bag. Well, speaking of needing to take a raincoat, WCW definitely needed their raincoat for this episode, I'll tell you that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. so it was it was rained off. Do you, do you, it was Hurricane Floyd, wasn't it, that basically cancelled this episode? Oh, it was uh, Hurricane Florence. I had it down as Florence. There you go. Um, one of the hurricanes <laughs> stopped thunder coming, as we'll get to when we get there. Um, but it's the September 16 episode because we we did have a thunder to review. Obviously, we're going to be a quick quick podcast. Um, September 16, 99 episode of SmackDown and Thunder. Um, so this is going to be, as I said, a, a quite the mixed bag. Which show did you end up watching first, Duncan? Well, Lee, I, full disclosure, I watched SmackDown first as my kind of treat to myself after uh, this is my first bit of podcasting that I was prepping for since my portfolio. But I feel like in the interest of not ending on, on a whimper, we should really discuss Thunder first. We can do that. Um, before we jump into the show, I should mention as well, I forgot, uh, SmackDown with a 4.5 rating to Thunder's 2.36. So a, um, a whitewash in the ratings. And we'll get to whether or not we agree with that in a moment because we're going to go and check out Thunder first. Huh. A decade of being the hero, the franchise, the go-to guy. WCW's favorite son. But was all this a mere charade? Was the betrayal by Sting at Fall Brawl the final payoff of a grand scheme? We should have seen the clues. But the only thing that's for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. 
various appearances of the infamous Bogus Sting. The rejection of WCW and the subsequent walking out on the promotion. You can stick it. A new Sting emerged. The colors were gone. He was draped in black. But was the blackest part his heart? Mysteriously appearing in the upper reaches of WCW events everywhere, he was like a specter. But was this the beginning of his true character shining through? The ease in which he quickly sided with the wolf pack, the heightened emotion was now all too easy for him to display. It should have tipped us off. Kevin Nash could have been right. Maybe it was Sting all along driving the mysterious Hummer. He was seen coming out of one and attacking Rick Steiner, remember? Yes, maybe it is even possible for the re-emergence of the bogus Sting to be a creation of the real Sting himself. The cold fact of this entire mystery is that Sting has now, once and for all, turned his back on his millions of fans around the world. What was once colorful and vibrant is now cold, calculating, and dark. We have witnessed better days. For this is a most trying time to have heroes in World Championship Wrestling. As you would have heard just then, um, Thunder starts out with a bit of a history of Sting video. Um, it's pretty detailed and, and goes quite far back. It's not often that a wrestling company is willing to go through four or five years of storyline for fear of opening up all the inconsistencies that they booked throughout that period. But what did you think about that video there, Duncan? Yeah, that's true. It was quite wide-ranging. It's just really funny to me hearing all of this stuff that they're now pinning on Sting because he's a heel now, um, including several fake Stings. Um, oh God, him joining the wolf pack is supposedly a sign. And then my favorite line from this, maybe Kevin Nash was right about the Hummer. <laughs> oh man. I just, as I sat and watched this, I thought two things. This is really interesting and unique. And can you imagine if WWE tried to do one of these with Kane or the Undertaker? Kane was badly burnt at the hands of his brother, the Undertaker. Then he took his mask off and he wasn't burnt at all. Then he put it back on for some reason because the burns are in his mind. Like, it would be so bad. <laughs> then he ran for governor of Knoxville, Tennessee, or wherever it was. <laughs> that would be class. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that video. I thought that was probably the highlight of the show. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We've, we go to a studio here. It's um, Larry Zabisco and Mike Tanay telling us that the Hurricanes knocked down the live feed. So what they're going to do is basically give us all the title matches from the past year or so, um, or at least clips of. Now, this reminded me a lot of, um, in 98, the WWF over here, like to our free-to-air TV, aired like a one-hour condensed version of WrestleMania 14 and a two-hour condensed version of Survivor Series 98, and they were both awesome. This was a little bit less so. Yeah, this is more kind of like a, I don't know, like a live wire or one of those like recap shows where everything's joined in progress and nothing's really complete. Um, Zabisco calls Sting's turn the shock of the century. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not for me, but yeah, sure. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and just to clarify, this is Hurricane Florence that did this. The hurricane had not been signed yet. <laughs> they definitely had to stand back, though. <laughs> uh, full disclosure uh, before we start here as well. Um, I know I usually give like a, a brief play-by-play in the matches. These were all played in progress, and I really didn't think anyone wanted to hear half a match's worth of moves, so I've pretty much just condensed it down to what the match was, how it ended, and any storyline advancement throughout. So if I'm a little bit lighter on notes, Duncan, feel free to jump in wherever you like here. Yeah, I'm mostly story focused as well, but um, if something notable happens in the ring, I've got a note of it. Um, it's as you say that the two main development developments that have come out of Fall Brawl and the Nitro that followed are that Hogan's getting a rematch for his world title at Halloween Havoc, and Goldberg has finally started to confront Sid about his bullshit non-streak. Um, so, as you say, we, we're sticking with the kind of world title picture that dates all the way back to June, I believe it is. Yeah, and the first match they, they show us here is Macho Man Randy Savage versus Kevin Nash. Um, my notes from this match are pretty short and sweet. Oh, cool. Medusa and Miss Madness are out with the Macho Man. Oh, WCW, back when they had logos on the, on the canvas. That was cool. This is a really shit match, <laughs> despite bringing up some great memories. DQ and Sid returns. <laughs> So, yeah, we we have to go over... There's also video packages going into these clips of the the actual matches themselves. And the build to this... It's a Kevin Nash and Randy Savage match from... I think it's the the Great... No, the Great American Bash, was it? I think. I didn't take note. I wasn't sure what exactly they were doing at first here. And I, I probably fell a little bit behind in my notes on the first few. So, yeah, this is a batshit crazy feud um macho man painted lipstick on kevin nash and so nash filled macho's limo with sewage then macho's walking around with a bucket of something and he quips "Ooh, that's fermented yeah oh this act uh, i completely forgot the best part where he brings that out and um also uh was it i think nash had left a, a suitcase in the ring and he hightailed it and inside the suitcase was like a, you know, a body contortionist, and they unzipped themselves, let themselves out, and dumped the crap on Macho Man. That was actually, like, for a terrible angle, that was a cool reveal. That was insane. Tony summed it all up um, when they started to join the actual match in progress. And he's talking over this feud, like, sewage was involved, a lady <laughs> in a duffel bag. Uh, it was funny, um, yeah, but uh, not not good action here at all. This is pretty typical for WCW at the time, where because we're featuring just the main event feud, everybody back in the day used to say like it was WWF had a great main event scene. WCW was great up until the main event, and we've got nothing but main event stuff for this hour and a half. <laughs> From an in ring perspective, Molly Holly or Miss Madness, as she was known back then with a perfect top rope drop kick to Kevin Nash, and then bumping like a boss for his snake eyes were the only things of note here. She was the hero of this match. Absolutely. Um, we get a bit of a recap of the Kevin Nash, Macho Man, Sid, and Sting angle going into the next match, which is Sid and the Macho Man taking on Sting and Kevin Nash. Um this is a bit ridiculous. So basically, the Macho Man wins the belt in a tag team match, which I never like. Um, but more importantly from that, like, Sid helped him. 
there was a botched low blow from uh, Gorgeous George at the end, which was not good either. But like, sits on this like he's this maniacal destructor intent on beating Goldberg's streak and being the best in the world, and he helps the Macho Man win the title. I just don't understand this. He he was basically a part of Team Madness at this point, which is why he attacked Nash at the end of the Great American Bash match. It was more kind of like to protect Macho rather than for his own interest at this stage. But this is another ridiculous match from a stipulation standpoint. So you got it's a tag team match with a world title on the line and anybody could pin Kevin Nash to become the world champion. And they tout that this includes Sting. But how on earth is Sting supposed to be legal in this match at the same time as Kevin Nash? Like, would he have had to have tagged Sting or Macho? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. It just defied all logic. This was on the Macho Man Best Of DVD set that they did several years ago. Probably just because it's his last world title win, but it's... No, it's not good. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Speaking of not good and Macho's last world title win, the next night on Macho, Macho issues an open challenge. And if you know anything about the history of the Macho Man and the world title scene, as soon as he gets there, there's normally one individual ready to steal the spotlight. So who do you think would be coming out for that challenge? Oh, you're going to need to give me a clue here, brother. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, I'm just the biggest surprise was that he let him celebrate on the evening before getting involved. Um, so my issue with this segment here is so they as with all of these clips they run a video package based around the incidents going on Um, but the trouble is the video package outlines the finish of the match itself and then they go and join the match in progress including the finish of the match that's in in my note (laughs) Kevin Nash costs uh, Macho Man the belt they show us the ending, and then they decide to play the match as if I care now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, another bit of commentary of note was Eric Bischoff was at the table for some reason at this point in time, and when Hogan dodged the big elbow, Bischoff quipped, Nobody there, sucker! <laughs> oh, man, yeah, he was looking He was looking a bit old sat at the booth, wasn't he? He'd let all his grey hair come back out at that point. He had, yeah. It's a bit surreal at this stage. So we've gone from, oh, Goldberg's going to have this reunited NWO heel factory to run through, you know, at the beginning of 1999, to where we are here, where Bischoff is on commentary in a, like, babyface capacity cheerleading Hulk Hogan. Yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's like... um. The heel and face turns through 99-2000, I, I, I can't wait till we get there, but they must be hard to keep up with because you're just watching this can never figure out who's on whose side. For sure. Um, I don't know if you noticed some of the... When they cut to commercial and they come back, they're sponsored by Butterfinger, and Tanae has to say the, the catchphrase of a jingle or whatever. It's like, 
bite my butterfinger. I'm like, no, thank you, Mike. <laughs> um, after that, we get a couple of Millennium Man promos in quick succession from Sid, which I'll splice in right about here. And that's what the big talk is, yeah. Everybody says that they will be the man of millennium. <laughs> I don't think so! Because people like you, Steve, you go first, you'll be forgotten! Because in the year 2000, they will say that Sid Vicious was the millennium man, yeah. No question, it was a very outspoken Sid Vicious. But in reality, we hadn't seen anything yet. Vicious would continue his verbal assault basically on everyone in the W organization. Yes, Sid Vicious put WCW on notice. Yeah, in the year 2000, the thing that will be talked about the most is my success, my victories. They will pile up higher than anyone can count. The record will be mine, because in the year 2000, I will be the Millennium Man. And I think I've said on the show before, like, I thought the uh, Millennium Man stuff from from Sid actually had some legs and could have been a really good angle if WCW wasn't a shambles at the time. Uh, how, How do you feel about the Millennium Man? No, I totally loved it, yeah. He was really... Um, hitting his stride with this when I first started watching WCW and wrestling overall, and I just accepted him as a big deal. Like it, it felt big and he felt important, and um, I thought he was doing good. I loved Larry talking about Sid as well here. Like, you know, Sid may not be a brain surgeon, but he isn't stupid. <laughs> That's one way to describe him. <laughs> I guess so. And then we go into um, a partnership that I didn't love as much. It's Rick Steiner with Sid, and they're taking on Sting and... Goldberg! Goldberg, thank you. I can't read my own writing again. Um, This one's on Nitro, so I started actually trying to look at where they were fighting. So um, Hulk Hogan's on commentary, and... This is, again, we, we join it late in the match, and the big storyline here is the heels go to use a chair. Hogan jumps up from the commentary table and saves the faces, but gets caught by the referee, so we see a DQ. And then Kevin Nash comes out and puts Hulk Hogan through the announce table. So not sure if Nash had turned heel or, or what here, or if he just wants the belt. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. It's a That's a pretty big bump for Hulk Hogan as well at this yeah. point in time. Um. Yeah, uh, the, I feel like by the end of their program, he was a heel um, because of developments that we'll get to later on. But it still doesn't make an ounce of sense. Not one bit. <sighs> then we go to uh, Road Wild, and it's Hulk Hogan versus Kevin Nash. Um, Hulk's out of a jackknife, so he hulks up. Typical Hulk Hogan finish with the big boot and the leg drop. And then we cut straight from there sharply into a Hulk Hogan and Sting promo, which I'll splice in as well. Gene, you're in a metal zone right there. Go ahead. Hogan, you and I know you don't want none of this. So tell your annoying fans that you're going to give me my mouth. You know something, Sid? 
You look pretty happy that you got away from the stinger, but not as happy as me, brother, because when I put the world title on the line, I want you at 100% because I came here to train, say my prayers, then kick your There's a miscommunication. You better think about it. Well, you know something? He's a coward. And tonight, because things been watching my back, it's going to be me and Sid, and I'm going to wipe him out. But Sting is the reason that I put Kevin Nash out of this business. Sting is the reason I'm going to kick his butt tonight. And brother, you more than anybody deserve a shot in my world title. And after I kick his butt tonight, right here, next week in Vegas, I'm going to give you a shot at my world heavyweight title. How about it, Stinger? train, say my prayers, and kick your ass. What did you yes. think about all of this, the, the Hogan-Nash match and the, and the Sting-Hogan promo here? So there's a lot of stuff to discuss here because um, over the course of this feud leading up to the Road Wild match, Hogan um, returns to the red and yellow gear at the behest of his son, who was there backstage holding it out for him while he was wearing the Ash, Ash Ketchum cap from Pokemon. <laughs> a very um a very young nicholas there yes very of its time this <laughs> um there's some kind of thing where um yeah they highlight a, a multi-man tag where hogan turned red and yellow again and um nash submitted to the scorpion deathlock and they put their careers on the line in this match yeah, which is um a little bit strange. Like the Sturgis show, like the people are just there for the novelty show and either Hulk Hogan or Kevin Nash's career is supposed to come to an end at this show. Yeah, um, I don't really believe that. <laughs> no, I don't buy into it either. Um, the match itself, again probably summarised best by the commentary, Tony's talking about Nash and the way he's wrestling this match, and he goes, in his offence, he's not expending that much energy. (laughs) Could be said about any Hogan or Nash match (laughs) uh, pretty much ever. Exactly. And then there's a point in time where they're all getting very excited, like, oh, is he calling for the jackknife powerbomb? And then he just does some more listless brawling. Yeah, this was pretty terrible. Um, Not good at all. Um, 
the one that probably did get me a little bit more excited to see just because of the uniqueness of it, it's the WrestleMania 8 rematch. Hogan defending against Sid. Yeah, and um, another instance where whenever Hawk's in the ring with Sid, he bumps incredibly for Sid's chokeslam. Yeah, I mean, he does Hulk up out of it, but it looked pretty good. It certainly was no Undertaker Judgment Day 2002 chokeslam. <laughs> um, my highlights of the setup for this was Sid coming out and asking, Give me what's mine, Mr. Hogan! Yeah, it's... um. <laughs> Sid, Sid's promos are definitely unique, but I don't know, like, uh, they kind of... They just entertain me. I love Sid. <laughs> And then, did you see... So, um, Sting came out and they did a promo off. And then, when they were transitioning to Mean Gene interviewing people, Sid very kindly and politely gave Mean Gene the microphone. <laughs> oh, Sid, class all day long. Um, the, the weird part about this match is um, Rick Steiner runs out, Sting comes out and makes a save for him, but Hulk drops the leg on Rick Steiner and they count the three. What the fuck? Yeah, I feel like this was a, a staple of very early Botchamania. Yeah, just poor stuff. Um, we then go to our next segment, which is Lex Luger out to warn Sting of his Hulk Hogan friendship. Um, Hulk, of course, debuting his 99 new millennium motto here of, I'm going to train, say my prayers, and kick your ass. Yes, that is all over these segments in abundance classic 99 and lex um comes across as the smartest man in wrestling warning sting off against hulk hogan yeah that's sensible i mean anybody can be considered smart when you're measuring him against sting (laughs) yeah (laughs) um the next match we go to is Sting and Hulk Hogan for the title. It's a good back and forth, but Rick Steiner and Sid come out to ruin it. Um, Hulk, of course, after they dispatch the heels um, with the help of Goldberg and Lex, basically says, this this was bogus, it wasn't on. I'm going to give Sting one more shot at the title, brother, um, which is going to be at Halloween Havoc. Yeah, also had some very pointed words for Luger as well. I thought both this and the Sid match were the... Matches that had the hottest crowd in in all of these clips that they're showing. Absolutely, and they're two big money matches from years gone by. I know Hogan and Sid was a long time ago in the WWF, but it wasn't that long ago. Sting and Hulk Hogan was the ultimate dream match in WCW just a year and a half or so back. Mm. Did you spot Sting used a Vader bomb in this match as well? Yeah, it was a bit strange. I don't think he's just not big enough to really make it look impressive, is he? That's always been my gripe with Sting. He's often booked as this monster babyface, but he's not really got the stature to do that, really. It's kind of like when... um, Back when Edge was a babyface and he was feuding with Kane right after Kane had buried The Undertaker alive again, and he just stepped up to Kane with absolutely no trepidation whatsoever despite Kane winning three consecutive pay-per-view matches against The Undertaker which is you know unprecedented in wrestling history and Edge is like yeah not not afraid of you whatsoever I'm going to 
torture your manager slash father. I'm going to take your world title. And yeah, it's all totally fine. <laughs> yeah, Sting's offense, I always found like sometimes it's really awesome and then other times not so clever. Like I, I'm not a big fan of when he's holding off two or three people at once with like he'll be booting one guy in the stomach and like back punching the, the guy to his right, like just sort of flicking him with the outside of his fist. It just doesn't look like it's going to hold two guys off. They'd just grab him and beat him up if he tried that in the fight. Mm, that's true. Um, we have a bit more continuation of the Lex Luger pointing the finger at Hogan. Um, basically tries to blame him for the White Hummer angle. If you've not heard of the White Hummer, you're either not an old school wrestling fan or you've been living under a rock. Um, this is where the Macho Man got Kevin Nash into a limo, drove the limo into place, jumped out of it, and a White Hummer rammed into the limo twice to put Kevin Nash out of commission. We then go to DDP, Bam Bam Bigelow and Canyon taking on Goldberg and Hulk Hogan. Now, if there was ever a babyface dream team, it's Goldberg and Hulk Hogan. You wouldn't fancy anybody's chances against those two. No, and that's highlighted as in the finish, um, Hulk Hogan pretty easily pins Bam Bam Bigelow as Goldberg no-sells the diamond cutter. Oh, that's ridiculous. Did you also see Paige did an elbow drop, but before it he did a little bang-bang dance? (laughs) I think by this stage I was just like, what is this crap? Like, this show is just so long-winded and boring, and I I would... Like, if it was all hot finishes with hot crowds and they were recapping it bit by bit, I could get with it. But like you said, half these crowds just didn't give a shit. They knew what was happening. It was the Hulk Hulk up and the leg drop and didn't really care. Mm. We then go to Hogan and Goldberg taking on Rick Steiner, Sid, and DDP in a cage. Um, Sting comes out to help the baby faces from the three-on-two and a really convoluted mess. It was hard to keep up with what was going on here, but the one thing you can't miss is Hulk Hogan getting the pin with the leg drop yet again. Yeah, the referee boxed the count on this one. Um, The minute I saw them cut to this match, it was after the the locker room incident where the lights went out that we encountered a few episodes ago. But immediately cutting from that to this where it's a regular-sized steel cage, but it has a roof on for some reason, and the Triad are in there again, and Hogan and Goldberg are in there, and Sid, and... I was like... My immediate note was, this looks like a mess. Yeah, it was... This is what you book with your mate on the PlayStation. It's not what you should be watching on primetime TV. (laughs) Yeah. We then get a recap of the Hulk Hogan and Sting Fall Brawl uh, match... Bobby Heenan, um, sorry, Bret Hart, Bobby Heenan, <laughs> definitely not Bobby Heenan, Bret Hart comes out to wish both well, um, DDP and Sid come out to attack Hulk Hogan, and then after all this mess, Sting uses the baseball bat on Hulk Hogan to win the title, so it looks like it wasn't Hulk Hogan ready to turn on Sting, it was vice versa. Yeah, shock of the century. We then see a Ric Flair promo, um, before Sting and Lex Luger, who are now heels, come out and basically offer him a chance to leave because they respect him and he doesn't, so they attack him. And Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart come out to make the save for Flair. So this is what I talk about. Like, 
you know, Flair's the, the sympathetic baby face being beat up by the heel, Sting and Lex, and Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan are teamed up to come and make the save. Like, <clears throat> if you'd watched any of WCW a year before, none of this would make sense. Oh, well, Ric Flair himself would agree with you uh, <laughs> from the sounds of it. So he's opening up this promo and he's like, I don't know where I've been. I've had a heart attack. Woo! I've been <laughs> institutionalized. Woo! And he's listing through like how ridiculous he's basically found all of his storyline. And he talks about he's he went six weeks without watching any professional wrestling. And it feels like he's saying that as a point of pride, which I don't blame him at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, he should have just tuned yeah, in he... to SmackDown. <laughs> well, unfortunately, he tuned into Nitro and he concluded, they just can't do it without the nature boy. Yeah, he's not far wrong. This is just, the main event scene is just an absolute shambles. And the next match, of course, is is pretty much of similar vein. It's Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan taking on Sting and Lex Luger. Of course, we get DDP interference, and Lex Luger uses the baseball bat to the face of Bret Hart to pick up the one, two, three in what will be our final match recap of the evening. And my notes just say, thank God this one is over. That was horrendous. Yeah, so there was all kinds of bullshit in the run-up to that as well, because Luger apparently wasn't cleared to wrestle, and then J.J. Dillon investigated, and it turns out that the bad guy was lying. What a surprise. And so Luger was wrestling that match in street clothes, because he just didn't bother to bring his gear, because he just assumed that he'd be off the hook for this one. And I kind of wish he was off the hook for this one. (laughs) I've got, like, there's a big logic gap, though, Duncan. This is 1999, and he's on the phone asking the person to look up on their computer the records. I don't think they could be on the phone and on the internet at the same time back then. (laughs) Well, especially not on AOL internet, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that was just, oh, man. Like, I I said at the start, like, I just got so jaded with this so early. It was a real slog for me to get through. This is probably my least favorite show I've ever watched for the podcast. And the whole thing gets a, uh, a one out of 10 on the Hamelock scale for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, as you said, this was a slog. It was fascinating for me seeing this was WCW up with their new and modern branding. And, you know, these were, this was a branding that they'd use on all of the toys that I'd get when I was a kid. Like the Bash at the Beach logo, I bought no end of toys with that logo on. Um, and so it's such a stark contrast to this brand new, slightly fresh branding in terms of like the look of the show and stuff and how antiquated the actual main event scene felt. Yeah, it was just, it it seemed like everything was five years out of date by this point, and they didn't help themselves by trying to hotshot heel and face turns to make it seem fresh. Like, they had good ideas, they just never stood by them. Like, even, you know, if you take the finger poke of Doom, and like Nash has said in many publications that the idea was to rebuild a big NWO for Goldberg to run through, that's all well and good, but they didn't do it. Like, Goldberg having to start at the bottom of the NWO and every week he picks off a new member because it's this big, you know, it's Wolfpack and Hollywood have joined back up and there's 5,000 members. That could have been a good two or three month storyline for them, but they just gave up on it all so easily. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, and instead, Goldberg's left with Sid, which it's kind of an intriguing prospect. Um, there, there was one more um, skit going over this feud where Sid said um, he won't allow Goldberg to have the opportunity to touch what's mine. <laughs> okay. That's one way to put it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, I think we saw the, the back end of Goldberg's title reign when Bam Bam Bigelow first turned up that giving Goldberg a new monster to play with is kind of intriguing, but as, like, second fiddle to what could have been for, um, like, the NWO storyline, it, it definitely doesn't feel like the optimal way of using Goldberg for now. No, and a lot of these guys they bring in, they don't really give them, a like, a, a sustained push before throwing them to the monsters, and as a result, they just look like job guys. Mm. Oh, that will do it for the first half of the show, so uh, it's half time now. I've got a memorabilia laying for you, Lee. Oh, let's hear it. So it's not something I actually own, but it's something that I've wanted for quite some time, and it's been highlighted to me because of a a viral video that's kind of making the rounds again for whatever reason. It's the Bret Hart Simpsons figurine. Oh, I ordered this on Amazon last year, and it never turned up. Oh, my God, that is so gutting. Yeah, I've still not got it. <laughs> oh, what a pain. Because uh, when, when we went around Prague last year, there was a comic store there and they had all of the REM Simpsons figures. For some reason, Peter Buck was like considerably cheaper than the other two. Um, so I've got those displayed on a nice little... Um, uh, not case, but like, like a standard, st- staggered staircase... And they're at the top of that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, th- this uh, the Brett Simpsons figure um, is prompted by that video doing the rounds where, um, I'm sure you must have seen it at some point, yep. Brett's just bragging about being on The Simpsons. Like, hey, Brock Lesnar, you got one of these? <laughs> oh, I don't think so. What about you, Ric Flair? Oh, yeah, that's right. You weren't even on The Simpsons. And then he's got his smart devices like, play The Simpsons. <laughs> Just need the shivering, sh- shivering, sh- uh, shriveling sheep to come and put him in his place. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's I, I definitely want that piece as well. Actually, I, it's funny that you, you had something written down that you didn't own because I had something that I never owned written down for my one this week as well. Um, yeah. In, um, I want to say, 1998. Like, we'd 
obviously after the Hasbro's finished, there was a bit of a barren spell for WWF figures and WCW went through a few companies as well. So there was a good, probably three year stretch in Australia where you couldn't buy any figures of wrestlers at all. And then all of a sudden my local toy world had the WCW set. Have you seen like that, the, the nitro ring? It's like the black with the red posts. And um, there was like a, a series where Kevin Nash came with a referee and the giant came with the Rey Mysterio figure as his, his accessory. Do you remember that set at all, Duncan? I think I do. Yeah. It's the one um, they, they have like the, um, the scaffolding go over the ring as well, leading to the nitro set and people could, jump on it is it that one yes that's exactly right so this came out and i like had i don't know i would have been probably 14 15 and whatever money i had aside i I put it all on on lay by um (laughs) which for a lot of people listening now probably don't even know what that is where you basically put a deposit down and pay it off until you can afford to pay it out um and I think you used to get like six week term. So I was paying it off for, you know, a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden the Jack's WWF figures hit, uh, I think either Kmart or Big W over here. And I was like, nope, went and canceled the lay-by, never got it off, got my money back and went and bought like um, Kane and Undertaker and Stone Cold and The Rock from like the BCAs with like the WrestleMania 15 carding instead and went WWF. Oh, nice. Yeah, that that Nitro set um, is is, um, gained prominence for me again because JXT, who's an independent wrestler in Australia, he's gone and and found a a pretty decent version of that set. Like, it's still in really good nick. And he actually remade the advert for the set with his actual set. He's got all of the same figures that are featured on the box of it as well. Ooh, I'll have to check that out. That sounds cool. done and dusted and we each had memorabilia to talk about today um we're now going to head over to the dessert of the episode and that's smackdown well if if it's dessert it's like a a cheese board or one of those because it's not very sweet I'll, i'll tell you that up front oh i've got such fond memories of this episode it wasn't the best episode but there's a couple of things that i really enjoyed on this and i think you know, by comparison to Thunder, for me, this was like, I don't know, it, it was the best thing you could follow up with. 
No, Lee, it was not the best episode. <laughs> um, this is one of those ones that I also have fond memories of because I saw the recap of it over here um, on Superstars. So it's one of the, the few from this time period I remember. Um, and the first part that I remember is the referees on strike, which hits me right in the in the memory feels, um, seeing all the referees outside the building petitioning because on Raw, uh, a handful of guys from the main event scene beat them all down until Hebner came out and went, nah, I'm done with this and left. That's right. I believe this storyline was just to try and latch on to a referee strike that was going on in the what's what's the baseball the MB MLB MLB yeah the MLB refs were on strike and I think they were just trying to uh, have a shot of relevance here. Absolutely, um, and then. The first, like, the real eye-opening thing is the enormous amounts of pyro we get. And then, unfortunately, the negative to that is 99, Jerry Lawler, and Michael Cole as the commentary team. Oh, yeah. We've got something coming up for that. Um, Signs as well. There was a group of three people with, like, a three-person hardcore Holly sign. Oh, that's dedication. I like me some Bob Holly. I know. Can you imagine nowadays, like, if, when crowds come back, like, three people got together and, I don't know, um, had the Baron Corbin sign or something. That would just <laughs> never happen. No, more than likely not. <laughs> and the crowd reaction here when Stone Cold comes out to open up the broadcast, they are hot for Austin. They are indeed. You, you spoke of... Um, Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler eh, not being on their game really in 1999. I wonder if you've got the Michael quote Cole. that I've got here. <laughs> I think I might have. Cole <laughs> exclaims about Austin. He is sports entertainment personified. <laughs> I've got that exact same note where Austin is the first person to tell you I'm a pro wrestler. <laughs> and Michael yeah. Cole just force feeding Vince's bullshit right off the bat. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to bring up as well, um, do you notice how Tony Chimmel, when he announces Austin coming out, he still puts the quotes around Stone Cold? No, I didn't notice that. So, like, if you listen to his intonation, he's he's like, Stone Cold, Steve, Austin! No, I didn't, I'll have to keep an ear out for that now. Yeah, like, all of the other ring announcers would abandon this, like only a few months into his title run but Chimmel would always keep it up like by this point in time if I don't know how Finkel was announcing him it'd be like Stone Cold Steve Austin but no you can hear it from Chimmel's intonation that he's keeping those quotes in there Mm, bit of a bit of a strange one but um yeah, I'll definitely, as I said, keep my ear out for that next time. I de- I didn't notice it, but I've, you've got me, my interest peaked, that's for sure. The one thing that really piqued my interest, though, is Stone Cold cutting a promo like a real human being. Um, I absolutely miss this. The, this is what's missing. Is like Honestly, if they were just allowed to talk as though you would talk if you were in a real fight, wrestling would instantly be 100 times better. None of this... Your cowardly attack on me is going to cost you your championship opportunity. Like, oh, just stop. Like, Austin just comes out. Damn, son, what you did to me the other night. I'm going to kick your ass as soon as you get here. Like, just talk like people. Fuck, it's not that hard. 
yeah, you felt like it, these were words that honestly Austin would come up with on his own. If if this was WWE in today's day and age, you know, they they run the recap or. So they mentioned here on commentary that Austin got DQ'd out of his title match on Monday. You could bet that they would, even if they had a package or anything, they would still have in the body of Austin's promo, he would go through it like, and his promo would be like 50% exposition. Absolutely. And, um, you know, like the, the replays on every hour on what happened earlier in the show because we're all so stupid, we can't keep up with what's gone on and none of us watched before this last two minutes. Uh, yeah, but it's not very often that you'd have something good come out of insulting the intelligence of your viewing audience. Nope, and yeah, I'll... Um, I'll, I'll include a little bit of the audio from Austin here just so that everyone can get what we're talking about and if you compare that to any promo that's been uttered in the last 10 years I, I dare you to find one better than this and this is just a typical Thursday night for Stone Cold Triple H just because I got disqualified this past Monday on Raw don't mean that you're through with Stone Cold Steve Austin oh no not by a long shot When I came to this ring, I came to beat your ass, and that's exactly what I did. The fact that Earl Hebner got his lights punched out is just too bad because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, now he's walking the picket lines with the rest of the referees. You know, Triple H, at SummerSlam, when you took that steel chair and you beat my legs, Hell, son, you could have, you should have kept on beating because you didn't get the job done. You should have bashed my damn brains in because as long as I am walking, your little ass is in these crosshairs and I will hunt you down like the jackass that you are. Wait a minute. Open up a can of whoop ass and serve it to you right in front of the whole damn world. I think Triple H barked up the wrong tree, King. So tonight I say this. We can either do things the easy way. Uh -oh. Or we can do things the hard way. It really don't matter to me, but this is how it will go. You can come out here and you can give me my rematch for the World Wrestling Federation title right here tonight on SmackDown. Now, now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. That sounds good to me. He's already had his rematch. He blew it. And no ordinary match, no holds barred, you little b A no holds barred match for the title. As you heard there, the actual content of his promo is basically wanting another title match. Triple H and China come out with the police and they say no, but he does have to defend tonight. He says he has to choose a main eventer to defend against. Michael Cole tells us all about the six-pack challenge at Unforgiven, which is one of their main events that, as a kid, I was so excited for, but I don't think it ever really lived up to the hype. Um, so everyone's in the, in the loop. It's Triple H facing The Rock, The Undertaker, Mankind, The Big Show, and Kane. Um, and we then finish this segment with seeing some footage of the referees going down on Raw before going out to the commercial. So a lot to unpack here, Duncan. What did you make of this segment? So hearing Triple H 
trying to get into this character, you can tell he's not quite there yet. Like, some of his phrasings aren't quite there. Like, um, he's, telling, he's telling Austin, you ain't getting Jack, Jack! Yeah, fell a little flat. Yeah, and um, his other catchphrase, that is the name of the game, did not stick around, thankfully. No, definitely um, one that could be left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> well, one thing that could not be left on the cutting room floor because it was like 50% of the words that he said all night is Triple H insisting that everyone kisses ass. <laughs> but um, I liked Austin's retort um, at the end. It's like, after tonight, Austin 316 will be so far up your ass, you won't be able to walk again. <laughs> Classic Stone Cold. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Triple H, who's been ordered to defend his title, is they're teasing that it's going to be against someone that Austin has faced before in a, in a headline match. Which I guess could feasibly go for anybody out of the main event scene or, like, that's, that's going to be in the six-pack challenge. So... It could be any of them and maybe one or two other people throughout the show. But yeah, they don't give too much away here. But later on in the show, you kind of get the gist of where it's going. Yeah. Um, those people from the Six Pack Challenge are going to be busy themselves anyway because there's a Royal Rumble rules match with all the contenders um, along with, they've advertised, Ken Shamrock against Mr. Hughes. And Big Boss Man and Al Snow in a pepper on a pole match. Main events anywhere in the country. <laughs> if you've all got your Vince Russo bingo cards out, I'm willing to guess you've got a line filled out already just from what we've got so far. <laughs> After the commercial, Shane comes out and calls out Joey Abs. The whole Mean Street posse come out with Terry Runnels. I completely forgot that was a thing. It doesn't last long. And Shane runs and plunches over the top rope to all three of them. Stephanie and Tester shown backstage watching, of course, at a slightly awkward angle. We get a three-on-one beatdown um, before Abs pushes the other two posse away to go one-on-one. And Gerald Briscoe comes out to referee. We get a suplex and a two-count from Abs, and then Shane McMahon with a back elbow for a two before Rodney comes in, and he and uh, Briscoe... Uh, Sorry, Rodney comes in as Briscoe and Pete Gas brawl. Shane McMahon comes back with a low blow and Pat Patterson comes out to referee, possibly the only referee I've ever seen in shorts. <laughs> Rodney gets on him, but Shane McMahon hits a spear, a little bit botched, hits a flipping senton type move and Sean Stasiak comes out as a referee to count the one, two, three. And then Steph comes out and kicks Joey Abs. This was as convoluted as it gets and definitely some Russo-esque booking, as you mentioned there. <laughs> for sure you can tell they're in a desperate state for referees when sean i'll record your conversations with me in secret for a rib stasiak is your referee to finish up this match <laughs> no, he's just treated like a piece of meat here <laughs> briscoe um, was getting a lot of flack for his slow counts and lol equipped not a jerry briscoe count it's geriatric <laughs> Um, so yeah, very busy match in terms of run-ins and storyline. It was kind of passable overall. I feel like it p- 
put the referee strike storyline over a bit more than Shane's story. Um, it's an admirable dive from Shane. Um, I loved in the post-match, Stephanie was giving Joey Abs a punt in his actual Joey Abs. <laughs> oh yeah, this was um this was probably one of the, the lesser memorable segments on SmackDown here. Um and speaking of things that I'd forgotten ever existed, we move on to Ivory coming out, who points out Cindy Margolis, who Lawler had pointed out earlier in the crowd. Um, she brings her into the ring. This is all so cringy and awkward. Um, praises her for a little bit, but that heel praise that you know she's about to turn, then eventually wants her to pose and show off, wants her down on the mat to put on a sexy pose and calls her a bitch. Jeff Jarrett comes out, and this is the part that I do remember <laughs> Jeff Jarrett putting the figure four on Cindy Margolis. Ivory celebrates with Jeff Jarrett, and of course, he then puts the figure four on her as well. So... Um, yeah, this is Jeff Jarrett in his lead-up to his matchup with China, putting the figure four on any women he can find. Do you remember any of this, or what did you think watching it back? So I have no clue who Cindy Margolis is. When they described her as queen of the internet, I thought she might have been that woman who got famous by putting a webcam in her room 24-7 all the time, but um, apparently she's just some, like, pin-up woman like Sunny or I think she's like an actress as well an actress as well but like her she's like the, the most downloaded woman on the internet or something yeah something like that I mean so was Sunny a couple of years earlier so this is still early internet days I guess mm. um, right what what kind of galaxy level brain do you have to have here if you're the WWF women's champion and you see a person like Jeff Jarrett who is engaged in what um, the New Blood Rising podcast would coin the war on women and you're like, oh yeah, I can trust this guy. Yeah, he'll help me out here. He'll, he'll sort me out with this Cindy woman. Yeah. Yeah, it's um a little bit naive here on Ivory's part. Just a bit. Um, after that, we go to Lillian, who's with Triple H again, and she's trying to get out of him who he's going to defend against tonight, and he's not giving it away just yet. We then go to our next match, which is um, Mark Henry, who's our current European champion, Sexual Chocolate Music and Shoes, uh, to take on Steve Blackman. And the second I saw this match... Um, I just had your random Steve Blackman stuck in my head for about three days, Duncan. Thanks a lot. Random Steve, yes! <laughs> oh, I could not get it out of my head. I'm laying in bed at night humming it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first time we've been blessed on our timeline here with Random Steve. He fills out any match card. And he's getting a title shot to boot. Yeah, so the the story is on Raw, Henry and Blackman were supposed to team up, but Henry was too busy being entertained by the Godfather's hoes, and so Steve had to finish the match as a handicap match. Uh, and uh, on, on Ref Watch, we've got Tony Guerrilla as the ref of this match. Indeed, and how did we find out Mark Henry was backstage with the Godfather's hoes? Oh, was it, um, was it GTV? It was. Oh! <laughs> So, who do you think they were building up for with this? 
I always was under the impression it was gold dust. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of, we're probably going to see at some point um, if we keep watching Thunder and we see any seven vignettes. I'm looking forward to those because yeah, what could be, <laughs> what could go wrong with a creepy man in face paint staring at a kid's bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine like um, Harvey Schiller and 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 um, What's It Shaw welcoming in Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara like when they start their new jobs. Like, welcome to WCW Creative, where nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> possibly go wrong. It's like the first thing that's ever gone wrong. <laughs> Won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> We get lots of kicks by Blackman, um, but it doesn't last long. Val Venus comes out while he's on the outside and low blows him with a kendo stick and then nails him in the head for it. Uh, Mark Henry's distracting Tony Guerrero, so when Blackman gets back in the ring, that allows Henry to pick up the one, two, three. A very, very quick match. And then D'Lo Brown comes running out and hits a very impressive sky high on Mark Henry to close out the segment. That's the thing of note here, yeah. Um, obviously, it would have taken a lot of cooperation, but um, I, I like D'Lo being highlighted here. The match itself barely existed. Yeah. Uh, good to hear that real deal theme, though. I always liked D'Lo's theme. Absolutely. We then go backstage where Cindy Margolis is being loaded into the back of an ambulance by some EMTs, no doubt to be taken to a local medical facility. And um, Jeff Jarrett gives us some abuse while she's on the gurney. That cracked me up. Fucking great. That's a message from me to China on my internet. Download that. <laughs> Just awesome stuff. Um, Jarrett was really hitting his straps here as they let him go. <laughs> he just... Oh my god. I'm a bit worried though if um if your best wrestling personas are supposed to be you with the volume turned up to eleven. <laughs> is this Jeff Jarrett coming out as a massive misogynist? Yep. Um <laughs> less said about that the better. <laughs> um <laughs> Test, of course, is the man in shining armor because he comes backstage and sticks up for her. And this, of course, leads to Double J challenging Test to a matchup. <laughs> well, Test is getting married, so he's an appropriate defender of all women, I guess. It's like, hey, you can't keep bad-mouthing women. I've got to marry one later. And she's on this show. I'm going to get into you before you put her in the figure four. <laughs> well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Uh, next match is Mr. Hughes, of course, wearing a shiny Y2J jacket, because why not, taking on Ken Shamrock. And before the match, we get a Chris Jericho promo. This might be the de- debut of um, Chris Jericho calling himself a bad mama jammer, so I'll splice that in here as well. Apparently now employed by Jericho. I am one bad mama jammer. Ladies and gentlemen, I have tremendous news. Uh-oh, what? Ken Shamrock has finally admitted defeat. Yes, that's right. Just moments ago backstage, he admitted to me that I, not he, am the world's most dangerous man. And that I am much tougher than he is. Shamrock admitted it? No, he didn't admit it, please. He then proceeded to get down on his hands and knees and beg me to make sure that we never, ever, 
ever met face to face again. Oh, I hope and we got I that agreed. on film. I hope we got pictures of that. And he also licked the dust off my boots in gratitude <laughs> for me hiring this man, Curtis, to protect me from tearing him apart limb from limb. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you do not believe this. And it's for that reason that I have allowed Curtis to take my place in this match tonight. What a guy. He's allowed Curtis to take his place. And not only did I do that, but I also scoured the streets of this city to find a referee who was qualified enough to work in this match, and I found that and so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you one of the greatest international officials of all time, a man who is so respected and revered that he is forced to wear a mask Reverend. as to not be mobbed on the streets by his adoring fans. Piggy meant revered. I present oh. to you the great Mexican official, you're gonna love this, Senor Manuel Garcia Lopez, or as we know him better, El Dopo! Yeah! El Dopo! Who? El Dopo! El Dopo, ladies and gentlemen! Yes! Who the hell is El Dopo? Those great classics that he officiated. I mean, we grew up with this guy. Hey, look at that Dopo. And um, yeah, Jericho then brings out a referee for this match, the supposedly legendary man from Mexico, El Dopo, which is a obviously larger, older man in a referee's outfit and a mask and some like overly baggy <laughs> dress pants. So what, <laughs> a lot to, to go on before the start of this match. What did you think about Jericho and Mr. Hughes um, in the build up to this Duncan? Oh, there is a lot going on here. So on the previous Monday, they did this thing called the Y2Jail to attack Shamrock. I mean, nice ring to it, but it basically just looked like a steel cage to me. Um, I loved Jericho's promo here. Um, he says that he talked to Shamrock in the back and Shamrock admitted that Y2J is actually the world's most dangerous man. <laughs> and he, he he licked the dust off his boot in gratitude that he hired Mr. Hughes to prevent Jericho from ripping him apart limb from limb. Oh, my God. Um, Shamrock, of course, comes out pretty pissed off. Um, we get a good outside brawl before he puts on the ankle lock, but Hughes gets to the rope um, and... El Dopo calls for the bell and disqualifies Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock, of course, goes a little bit nuts here and goes for the mask of El Dopo. And, of course, it's Howard Finkel. And Shamrock gives him a good kick for good measure here as we close out the match. I mean, who are you to doubt El Dopo? <laughs> Lillian Garcia is then backstage with Mankind, who chats about the five-man rumble, doing a bunch of rocks um, pieces during his promo. And basically, still probably... Um, it's kind of this. I know, like from reading Foley's books, they were going to go towards a feud here, but it always bothered me how Mick Foley would basically bow down to The Rock here, even though they'd both been world champions that year. I think it's just trying to work with the the natural nature of these characters. Like mankind's a, a bit earnest and dopey here. I loved him talking about how him and The Rock are a finely chewed automobile. And mankind 
The Rock is the front end. Mankind is the rear end. But not just any rear end. <laughs> it's the people's rear end. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed this, really. I like how Mankind is basically just that misfit in school that sees what the most popular kid in school is doing and like, oh, it's working for him. I, I ought to get in on that as well. Yeah, look, I, I don't dislike him. He's entertaining, but I think like this period with The Rock probably killed the Mankind character permanently. Um, after this, he has to go back to Cactus Jack to really be a threat. Yeah, I think it... I mean, I'm not sure about a threat, but like if he was going to be a, a headline act, it, there was definitely a change that was going to be needed here. Um, it, it was definitely his most relatable period in terms of like gaining sympathy. But yeah, I can understand how he's kind of strayed from how Mick Foley broke into the wrestling business. Definitely. We then go to our Lugs boot of the week and it's referees being beaten up on Raw that we saw earlier leading to the strike. And then it's time for the five-man rumble. Um, The winner of this, the incentive for being in the match, is you get to start the six-pack challenge with Triple H and it's one fall to win the title. So I guess they're going with you could get in and beat him before anyone else tags in. If you've ever watched any wrestling match with more than two people in it, you know that's not going to (laughs) happen. No. It's um, Rock Mankind, Undertaker, Big Show, and Kane. We get a Rock promo to start, and we talked earlier about... I mean, actually, we're quite blessed. A Stone Cold promo, which uh, you would have heard earlier. A Jericho promo that you've heard. And now I'm going to give you a Rock promo to round out the, the, the triple. Rock! Finally! The Rock has come back to Las Vegas! And I love The Rock here. You can bet on that. (laughs) Undertaker, Mankind, Kane, and The Big Show. The Rock says you all four jabronis can go right down to the Tropicana Hotel. It's right up the road. You find the absolute best slot machine you can find. You can't miss it. It's got a big Brahma bull on the front, and it says the People's Slot Machine. Yeah, I saw that today. And then one of you jabronis pulls the handles, and there it is. One Brahma bull, two Brahma bulls, three Brahma bulls. You jabronis hit the jackpot. And then all of a sudden, you're jumping around like a bunch of idiots. Undertaker with his Mickey Mouse tattoos and his 33-pound head. (laughs) Oh, what are you laughing at? Jumping around, screaming like a girl. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, came running around doing cartwheels, scaring everybody in the casino. I won, I won, (laughs) let's party. And the biggest goof of them all, the big slow, sits there scaring all the Rocks fans. The big slow, oh, he's 500 pounds. And he's gonna be in the ring with The Rock tonight. And then the doors open and The Rock 
arrives. <laughs> hey. And as The Rock looks at all four of you jabronis with tears rolling down your cheeks and <laughs> rolling down your legs. <laughs> what? Ah, oh, you heard him. The Rock says he's gonna gather up all the gold coins you guys won. And in front of the millions of Rock's fans, he's gonna shine all the gold coins up. Uh, shine them and shine them. <laughs> shine all the gold coins up, turn them sideways, and stick them straight up. You can't do chops down all the heels in this match and does a really good job um, and of course we then have to have the biggest one of the bunch the big show coming out to start the match with the rock did you did you like this rock promo here duncan i did it's very typical reliable rock um finding some kind of premise and turning it around into shining something up real nice um <laughs> and i think this is the first time we heard the big slow as well. It stuck for a long time. <laughs> it sure did. Um, they brawl for a little while before Mankind comes out. It's quite fast-paced. Um, Rock and Sock hit a nice uh, double team, a couple of double-team moves on Big Show before Kane comes out. Um, Cole talks about Triple H hitting all the challenges with his sledgehammer recently. Undertaker comes out in street clothes. He looks a little bit like he would the next year as the American Badass. Um <clears throat> Mika, who, like, I was watching this late at night, Duncan, and um, as The Undertaker makes his entrance here, Mika had woken up, so my um, soon-to-be nine-year-old had come down and sat on the couch with me and said, look, you can sit quietly while I'm watching this, and The Undertaker comes out on the ramp, and she goes, it looks like he's about to tell all his children he's disappointed in them. (laughs) 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 I just lost it. (laughs) Well, she's not far off, because he just sits on commentary and... He calls the rock the phony tough and the crazy brave. Oh, I always hated that line. I don't get it at all. So like you're you're pretending to be tough, but you're also crazy for being brave for no reason. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Now you've kind of got to be one or the other. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, so like I thought he was talking like i thought he'd use that line for a collective group of people he's saying that the rock is both of those things at once makes no sense yeah you you fearless coward you (laughs) um mankind eliminates kane and then the rock dumps mankind before big show hits a choke slam um he throws the rock out and in a, a finish very similar to the 2000 rumble rock holds on and big show thinks he's won it Rock and the Big Show then struggle as The Undertaker gets up from the commentary booth and dumps them both out. Big Show confronts him, but Midian and Viscera come out to get in the way. And then The Rock jumps in with a chair. Not his wisest move, so perhaps he was crazy brave on this night. Um, Nails Midian and Viscera, but Big Show boots the chair into his face and then Viscera recovers uh, long enough to give him a big splash to end the segment. Um, Some more 
Big Show and Undertaker dissension. And I don't know about you, like I, I know they're probably not anyone's favorite, but I don't mind the Midian Viscera still following the Undertaker around aspect of this story. Yeah, like. I don't know a lot about this time period, but I feel like the whole ministry thing was just kind of dropped and all of the focus went on Big Show as Undertaker's new apprentice, so to speak. So I'm glad there's still some kind of continuity rolling around in there. Um, It's kind of odd to me that Undertaker wanted to win this match, even though like, he's going to be supposedly starting this this championship match at Unforgiven now when he clearly seems to be in no mood to do any kind of wrestling whatsoever since when he came out last in this match went to commentary right away and only entered when all of the people in the, left in this match were in a prone position and he just had little to do, as little as possible to do Yeah and um the Undertaker not wanting to wrestle is going to be something you're going to see a little bit more of in the in possibly the next episode, but certainly before Unforgiven. So get ready for that. Oh, I feel like it has to be. Um, what did you think of this segment of this match overall? I didn't mind it. I thought it was probably a little bit too quick to be impactful. Um, I preferred the um, DX Corporate Rumble from... 1999 January to this one because there was a few more people and it lasted a bit longer and the stakes were a little bit higher the number 30 spot in the actual Royal Rumble I loved that corporate Royal Rumble it was on the best of Raw volume 2 VHS set that I used to have and it was great because like you had like the, the double subterfuge at the end where like everyone you think from the corporation and DX has come out. Oh, but then Mr. McMahon comes out. He's in the corporation. And then you think, oh no, so that really is everyone. And then China comes out at the very end. It just, it plays with your expectations really well there. Um, but this match was just punch kick city. Um, apart from a, a decent elimination flurry. Exactly. Um, then we go to our next match, which is the Holy Cousins taking on China and Billy Gunn. China actually comes out solo and is going to take the match on on her own, um, and she dominates early as well. It's funny because for a moment I thought they might messed up with a referee strike because it looked like um, Earl Hebner was in, but it's actually Dave Hebner. Unreal, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise that they were so alike. Like I thought by this stage they'd have kind of drifted a little bit, seeing as how... Dave's just sat around backstage and Earl's the one in the ring taking bumps all the time. Yeah, I guess the the, um, the stripes brings them a little bit closer together. Mm. Hardcore Holly takes over for a little while before Billy Gunn comes out to tag. Um, we get double team from the Hollies and then a hardcore suplex before China hits a DDT and the hot tag to Billy who cleans house and hits a famous for the one, two, three, but China is not happy with him. This allows Jeff Jarrett to sneak in with a fry pan and lay China out. Uh, Deborah and the cat come out as well. They bring out an apron and a soup ladle and they put that on China and in her hand. Um, some great heat for Jeff Jarrett here. Get back in the kitchen and fix my supper. Holy crap. <laughs> Great heel work. Um, we then go to Lillian, who is with the boss man, and he's got a doggy bag um, with pepper in it for pepper on a pole. So, yep, uh, we're going there right now. 
Yeah, and just in case the joke went over anybody's head, Bossman went to the trouble of writing doggy bag on the doggy bag. Yep, can't miss this. It's right in your face. <laughs> Our ref for this one is Sergeant Slaughter. It's a bit of brawling early before Al Snow hits a backdrop and a top rope crossbody, but he's caught in a modified boss man slam. That was a pretty impressive spot, actually. Um, and then he's hit with a nightstick. But the British Bulldog comes out with some Rottweilers. Uh, boss man still is able to get the bag, but he tosses it, which Al Snow then gets it. And apparently this is one of those on a pole match where you don't need to get it. You need to get it and be on the canvas with it. So there's that little technicality. Boss man runs through the crowd to avoid the dogs. And Jerry Lawler um, brings a line, which I, I can remember so vividly from a kid when these dogs are out. He just goes, stay, stay. <laughs> Oh, his little bulldog impression. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Um, I feel like you're underselling the, the, the chase sequence at the end there, Lee. Bossman does not only escape through the crowd, he does a Marty Jannetty blind man bump over the barricade because he's so perturbed by all the Rottweilers. Not even any salt in the eye from the doggy bag. No. <laughs> oh, man, this was... Uh... I, I, I just a bit of a, a mind mess for, of a segment, so it, it's only going to get worse from the kennel for, with the kennel from hell. But we're still there now. Wow, yeah, they they referenced the kennel from hell on commentary. You, you know it's coming. It's it's looming. Yeah, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. We get the six pack challenge and the kennel from hell on the same night. I think we're going to enjoy that pay per view for <laughs> the wild ride that it is. Um. From there, we go to our previously spoken about challenge of Jeff Jarrett, the Intercontinental Champion, taking on Test. Test hits his big boot early in a side slam and a gut wrench power bomb all for two counts before the posse come out. We get a Jeff Jarrett drop kick for a two and a second rope clothesline before Test hits a power slam. Stephanie then comes out, as does Shane, and the Stooges come out, and there's a bit of a. And Sean Stasiak as well, actually. And it ends in a big schmoz. Jeff Jarrett's able to hit his second rope arm breaker on test. Goes for a figure four leg log on Stephanie. And Shane comes in for the save. Um, I'm actually, through all this nonsense, don't know that we actually got a winner in this match. No, the ref threw it out because of the schmoz. Um, all right action, really. And the post-match was kind of cool. Jarrett, when he got announced to the ring, he was announced as being from the great state of Tennessee. Oh, there you go. He's um all over this show and doing a pretty good job for my money. Yeah, he is. He was also the smack of the night with Duke Nukem Zero Hour on the Nintendo 64 before this match started. Um, where they replayed him putting Cindy in the in the figure four. Speaking of all over this show as well, by the way, did you catch before this match started? We cut to Triple H with all the security and the Stone Cold <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> is lurking in this 18-wheeler trailer. <laughs> and it's just unintentionally hilarious to me. He looked like brain dead or something, like sneaking out from behind the door. Like <laughs> A little bit stalkerish, but yeah, um, definitely a, a weird moment. The other thing about this as well, so you saw um, China was back with... Triple H and the security, you know, remarkably recovered from her frying pan attack. Yeah, just like back to normal. Um, it's such a weird, 
like couple of months here for China where she's a face in one segment and a heel in the next. And I'm glad when they move past this after, I, I think if it's not unforgiven, it, it, they move past it around no mercy. Yeah. I feel like nobody on the writing team thinks about this at all. Like it, it's almost like there's this mirror universe China that's hanging out with triple H and the real China is in her own feud. But you know, at least when there was mirror world Spock in Star Trek, they had the courtesy of giving him a goatee so he could tell them apart. China with a goatee would have been a, a look in 99. Well, you know, don't treat her like a woman, don't treat her like a man. You know, it's Fair perfect. <laughs> yeah. Triple H then comes out for the main event. He says he can pick his referee as well and pick Shane McMahon and gives a pretty long-winded speech about who his opponent's going to be before finally announcing that it is going to be Vince McMahon. During all this, we see Vince backstage with Linda, who half-heartedly tries to talk him out of it. Um, He does come out and try and refuse the match, um, but Triple H goads him into it, basically saying that he's going to sleep with Linda and he's got no balls and whatnot. Um, And Vince finally attacks him in his suit, no less, before Triple H goes into a bit of a beatdown. We get a China cheap shot. A Vince Lowe blow and some outside brawling before we see an elbow through the table. Um, and Vince, coming out of this table spot, somehow got someone's drink spilt all over him because he's wearing a, a light brown shirt and it's now got a huge wet patch on it. Mm, yeah. Um, classic Vince McMahon feuding stuff here, talking about grapefruits and all of that stuff. Um you notice as well, when Triple H came out, the arena looked pretty darn empty. I didn't take note of it. There you go. It was a pretty hot crowd for this. I wonder if um, a lot of them had been in the concessions or if they'd actually gone. Yeah, like there was some really patchy segments, and they weren't even all that far out of the way of the camera either. It's very, um, very strange. Um, yeah, as you say... Vince got goaded into this match because um, Triple H basically said that he could maintain an erection all night for Linda. <laughs> I'm not touching that one with the um, with the pole that Pepper was on. I mean, Linda's not touching it either. That's why Vince is fighting. <laughs> Triple H nails Vince with a chair and then Shane's had enough. He spears him before China comes in and attacks. Um, they nail Shane with a huge chair shot. Uh, we see Vince has been busted open from his, and Linda comes out with the Stooges trying to stop her. Um, Triple H and China beat down the Stooges. Um, as I mentioned here, it's a, it's a weird China period. Um, China holds Linda, and Triple H continues to beat down Vince, wiping Vince's blood on his chest before the glass breaks, and through the crowd comes Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hits a stunner on China, a stunner on Triple H. He's about to leave and he thinks, nah, I'll drag Vince over for the pin. One, two, three, and in a crazy ending, Vince McMahon is your new WWF champion. Um, this is the part of the show that I remember vividly from being a kid. And, you know, not a good match by any stretch of the imagination, but the angle in the ending was pretty cool. Um, reminding everyone here that Vince had been off TV after the first blood match back in July at Fully Loaded, where the stipulation said that if Austin beat The Undertaker, Vince would have to leave. So, um, yeah, pretty crazy all around for the main event what did you think about this duncan i mean at least it had some drama to it in the closing stretch like as a wrestling match it didn't really do anything for me even the the kind of plot twist of stone cold rather having vince mcmahon as the champion than triple h 
it didn't make that much sense, but you know, okay, we'll, we'll we'll see where this goes. Michael Cole also divulged a little bit of the shoot reason why Vince McMahon had been away. I'm talking about how he had a pelvis injury from a motorcycle accident. Oh, I must have missed that in my notes. There you go. Yeah, so you know how, like, in the... Um, what did they call it? Not the end of an era, but, you know, the, the first blood where Vince said, okay, I'll I'll, I'll piss off now. I think it was, was in the, the wheelchair end of an era. for all that. Well, it was. Oh, okay. I remember um, the, um, like, the video package. Somebody's going to bleed. Somebody's going to leave. Somebody's going to leave, yeah. But yeah, overall, like a a good segment, if not a good match. But that brings us to the end of SmackDown. Um, we it's it's time to discuss the winners. This is a bit of a, a difficult one, so I'm going to lead off the bat and say that I've just blanketly picked the WWF for all five categories because that Thunder was horrendous. Even though it was a recap show, so technically all storyline, I still preferred the storyline advancement on this one episode of SmackDown than the convoluted mess they were serving up on Thunder. So it's an easy five from five for me. Do you have any disagreement on any of the categories that you want to throw in for the sake of Thunder? I mean, I, I really can't. Like, I should... I should state from the off here, this episode of SmackDown really didn't do anything for me. Um, most of the matches were garbage, um, but at least they were able to put together a show and it felt like they were servicing what they were doing better than WCW, who had to scramble together and kind of retroactively build up Sting's storyline, even though the stuff they were showing didn't really necessarily seem to logically portray what they were trying to do with Sting at this point in time. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Like, uh, not the best episode of SmackDown by any stretch, but, I mean, an average SmackDown in 99, 2000, 2001 is still better than anything I've watched in a long, long time. So I never get mad going back and watching these shows. And the same could be said for probably like a 96 to 98-ish episode of Nitro or Thunder. But by 99, they definitely weren't holding up to that category anymore. No. um, It just felt... WCW, by highlighting all the same people that were in their main event storylines, kind of dug their own hole, really. Um, it made everything feel a little bit monotonous. WWF, like I said, the wrestling wasn't great, but you got some kind of variety in pacing and there was some good promo work, at least. Yeah, exactly. So, a pretty easy win. Obviously, one that was kind of by default more than anything. Um, I'm genuinely looking forward to getting back and watching an actual episode of Thunder um, when we get back on this train. But for now, it was good to actually get back on the timeline and have a look at some more 99. So I really enjoyed this episode of SmackDown for what it was, and I didn't enjoy Thunder at all. But um, overall, still glad to be back at it, Duncan, and, and catching up with yourself and recording again. That's the best part of this, yeah, catching up again. I think in terms of wrestling, this was one of the worst weeks. But um, at least... I feel like we've reached our um, nadir here in terms of the show quality. And uh, I want to see where things go from here. Interesting, interesting. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm 
definitely going to be keen to get back in a bit quicker that if we can this time, schedules permitting. So fingers crossed for that. Um, have you got anything coming up with Kyle anytime soon? Have you, have you guys been on a little bit of a hiatus as well with all your stuff going on? Yes, Kyle's been kind of similar to me, really. Um, like his job's got a bit complicated with the way the pandemic and the reopening of the schools was going. So we've not really had time to record, but we are due, um, as of recording, to record tomorrow, um, resuming our Tape Trader Diary series. We're going to be looking at Raw from oh, whatever the first week in November of 2000 is. And it's going to be headlined by Rock and Austin teaming up against Rikishi and Kurt Angle. Nice, nice. Very newsworthy show that I'm looking forward to discussing with Kyle. Um, of course, you can go back and listen to all of our past episodes as well um, on our SoundCloud page and Spotify and Stitcher and subscribe to Apple Podcasts and all that stuff. Absolutely. You've got to, you've got to get me on for the episode when it's uh, SmackDown where it's... Um... Triple H and the Road Dog teaming up against Benoit and one of the other radicals. I can't remember which, but that was one of the like the only ever episode of SmackDown that I got handed on tape when I was in school. So at some point when you get to that, I'm definitely keen to join you guys if we can line it all up. Cool. Awesome. Well, that will do it for us today. Another good episode in the bag. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And definitely go and check out Then Now Whatever um, on Twitter and listen to the podcast as well. I've been on there a couple of times as well. And... Kyle and Duncan do a great job um, reviewing a, a lot of old fun stuff that really hits the nostalgia area for me. So thanks again, Duncan, for coming on. It's always a pleasure, Lee. Yeah, good to be back. And we will see you all again next time. Thanks for listening. Cheers. The end is here. The game is over. No more pretending. No more.